So we are in this really compelling story about the, can't call him an apostle yet, Saul, Saul of Tarsus, in the book of Acts. We're moving through the book of Acts. We've been going through the book of Acts to kind of highlight as, uh, as a local church kind of emerging with their vision that we are at Blue Mountain Community, what direction we're going, uh, with the next person you're going to hire, what they're going to want to do, who you are. How do we embrace this new world that we're facing with this kind of post-pandemic spirituality in North America? As Glenna was highlighting this morning, people shaking their fists at God. How can we be a witness to the world authentically as Christ followers? And the book of Acts is a really, really great place to look, not at a template, but as a distillation of values. How and what is coming out of this story and what kind of people are in this story and what kind of things were happening in this story that we can learn from as an inspiration for us today? So, the story of Acts with this guy, Saul of Tarsus, who has this incredible transformation where he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he's going to Damascus to persecute people who are following Jesus, people of the way. And he meets Jesus on that road. And his whole life completely turns. And in one moment, in one millisecond, everything he'd ever believed had come true. And everything he'd ever believed had been proven wrong. Everything he'd gone for his whole life was validated and invalidated at the same time when he saw Jesus. He'd gotten it all wrong, he'd gotten it all right, and his life was completely topsy-turvy. And he's blind for three days, and then he goes to this guy named Judas' house, and he, he's hanging out in Judas' house, and he's not eating, and he's not drinking, and he's shaking, and he's scared, and his whole worldview's collapsed, and, and this guy named Ananias comes to him and lays his hands on him and prays for him, and he can see. And he becomes a follower of Jesus. And he's baptized and brought out new. And this is a remarkable story because of what happened to Saul in his heart and because of Ananias listening to, this, to, listening to Jesus to, to go in the first place to, to, to welcome him into this new family of believers. But Saul is a really interesting character. You could call Saul, I think an appropriate name for Saul in this story is Saul, Saul, the wrecking ball. <laughs> Let's all say that together. Saul, Saul, the wrecking ball. Okay, a wrecking ball, like a big old ball on a chain, swinging, smashing anything in its way. But in order to really understand the, 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 uh, the emotional temperament of this story, I actually need your help. So if you're not going to make a basket, that's fine but I do need your faces. I need you to give me, like acting class, okay? Acting. Shocked, disgust, okay? Shocked, like disgust, but not like disgust, like you've seen something gross, like something just doesn't sit well with you, like you're disturbed, shocked, disturbed, but more shocked than disturbed, okay? So I'm gonna be your director, and I'm gonna count of three, I wanna see these faces, one, two, three, 
Most of your expressions haven't changed at all. <laughs> That's your baseline. Come on. Like, if you need an internal monologue, you can say, wait, what? Maybe you've listened to the day, wait, what? Tilt your head like, wait, what? Ready? One, two, three. Ah, wait, what? Let's say that. Let's, I'm going to help you out here. Let's say it with me. Wait, what? One, two, three. Wait, what? Good. Like, what? That is the tone of this story. Because Saul, he meets with Ananias, he gets baptized, and I don't know who's an extrovert in the room. Who's like a bleeding heart extrovert? We got a couple. Most of you are not acknowledging that you are. That's okay. Saul, I think, is a bleeding heart extrovert. He's had this radical transformation, like life-altering transformation. He came to Damascus with ropes and chains, ready to bind people up and drag them out of their homes to send them back to Jerusalem to imprison them. He meets Jesus. He's baptized. His whole worldview, his whole life has changed. And it's in a few days... Saul doesn't rest. He doesn't stop. He goes in the absolute opposite direction. And he meets with the followers of Jesus in Damascus and starts preaching to them. He starts telling them about Jesus. He starts saying, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And he's standing in front of them with this message of Jesus. And the people are like, wait, what? What? So, so, sorry, Saul? Walks into the room and people are like, whoa, Saul's here. Whoa, 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 what's happening? Saul's here, he's coming to get us. And they start to scramble and pick up. He's like, no, 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 don't you know, guys, Jesus is the son of God? Yes, we know that, Saul. We believe that. Remember you came here to find us? And he starts preaching to the people who have already heard the message. But Saul doesn't stop. He's, he's getting acquainted with the, with the followers of Jesus in Damascus. And then he, he, he's walking down the street. And then, and then one moment he's like, wait, synagogue. And Saul of Tarsus just confidently, brazenly, barges into the, to the hall of the synagogue on the stone floor and the pillars and the people and all the Damascus Jews that are inside the synagogue worshiping. And Saul comes into that room and everybody in the room is like, excited, yay, Saul's here. Saul, yes, Saul the champion. He's kindly, he finally come. Who's with him? Where's his goon squad? Hey, Saul, where's your change? I thought you had Christians you were wrapping up. The people in Damascus, they were as irritated with the local followers of Jesus as Saul was. They knew the political climate. They didn't want this trouble. They welcomed Saul and said, yes, you've come, Saul, finally. And Saul walks into the center of the room. He's like, hey, guys, wait. You guys are all wrong. Jesus is the son of God. Wait, what? On the count of three. Wait, what? One, two, three. Wait, what? A little, that, was, that was good. That was a great job. 
Let's get some more anger in your voice this time. Ready? One, two, three. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys don't understand that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. He was on the cross, and he was born, and, and, and then he died, and he lived, and I saw him on the road, and he's, he's preaching to the Jews in Damascus. Days after his conversion, barging into what should have been his friendly territory. And the people in the synagogues are listening to him saying, what, what? What, are you, what happened to you? Who are you? Where is your, your scroll from the high priest? And Saul, unrelenting can't read the mood of the room and he pushes and pushes and pushes and soon there's an anger welling up inside the Jews in Damascus and they say are you kidding me Saul you came here to help us rile up and gather up these followers of Jesus and now you've become one? Oh, that's not acceptable Saul and they start the plot to kill Saul. The men in the group start to say, you know what, this, this can't happen. This Christianity, this following Jesus, this way is like a disease and it needs to be eradicated from our city. And if it's gotten Saul of Tarsus, we have to do something to stop it. We need to stop it with him. And so they turn to violence. And they look to kill Saul. But there's people in the city that, are, that get word of it. And somehow, Saul finds out. Someone comes and says, Saul, Saul, you've done something here, Saul. Like, you've got people. The Jews, you've really, you've really rattled the boat here, buddy. You've really, you've really shaken things up for us. And so we need you to leave the city. We, we got to let you go. And they say, you know, Saul, remember it, like, you were coming to, to, to hunt us, and we had escape routes for when you came for us. And so, come on, we'll, we'll get you out of the city. And so, they, in the kind of the, I imagine the, the, the cover of darkness, they're like shuffling through the streets like a quiet shadow, and they're moving towards the edge of the city. And, and I imagine it playing out. The word gets out that Saul's trying to escape. And so this mob, they light their torches. They get out their pitchforks. They get out their swords and their clubs. And they start trying to find Saul through the streets of Damascus. And the, and the, the followers of Jesus, they, they take Saul in this kind of escape route. And they say, Saul, now you just got to climb up the wall. And Saul's like, what? Yeah, 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 climb up the wall. So Saul starts to climb. And he gets to the top of the wall. And then they say, jump. No, I'm just joking. See, actually, Saul, what we're going to do is we've got this basket, and we're going to lower you down the basket on the other side of the wall. And Saul, I can imagine, says, wait, what? This was your grand escape plan? And I, I can only see this playing out like Saul's probably like, you know, guys, that this is your grand plan. I was going to find you. This is how you plan to leave the city, like on a, in a basket, like a loaf of bread. Over the wall? Saul, there's no time. 
And they put Saul in this basket. And the followers of Jesus on the top of the wall, they start to lower Saul down over the wall, lower and lower and lower, until he hits the ground just in time. And the basket spills over and Saul falls out. And he's staring into the Arabian desert. And he escapes Damascus. Unharmed, still alive, flees from violence. Now if we were to pause here, we say this is like the first time in a long line of times where Paul, Saul, gets himself into a lot of trouble. But I think it's really important as we are reading through the narrative of the scriptures, if we really slow walk and we really put ourselves in, the, in that story and we don't just rush ahead and we don't look for the point of the story, we're not looking for the theology, we're really just trying to sit with the story, I find it really striking that all this happens within about four days, five days a week. And I find that dizzying. I find Saul overwhelmingly dizzying. This guy is intense. He's coming into the city to hunt Christians. He finds Jesus on the way. Days later, he then starts preaching to the Christians who are irritated and annoyed and untrusting. And then immediately moves on to the Jews and starts rattling the cages of the Jews in the city who want, then want to kill him. And now he's being hunted by the Jews that were supposed to help him hunt the Christians. And then the Christians he was trying to hunt actually help him leave the city. And this is all within about a week. It's crazy. Then if you go to Acts, if you go to Acts 9... Verse 26, well, I, I, we'll go back to verse 25. Then one night the disciples engineered to escape by luring him over a wall in a basket. Verse 26, back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. So I'll read that again. I'll read it really slow. Acts 9, 25. Then one night the disciples engineered his escape by lowering him over the wall in a basket. Verse 26. Back in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. This is where I'll say again and again and again and again and again, the story is so important. Because the actual, the invisible story in this story is really really key. What happens in between verse 25 and 26 isn't said. That's cool. There's no written document. It's, it's what I like to call the understory. It's a story that's happening underneath, or you could call it the in-between story. In between the lines of the words of the pages, there's something going on. And most often it's not expressed. And without like research and like uh, investigation and like cross-correlating, you won't understand what's really happening. So if we jump, actually, and I don't often like to do this because I think it's confusing for me. 
So I assume it's confusing for everybody. Whoops, sorry. If you jump to Galatians, Galatians 1. done a lot of public speaking. That was the longest 30 seconds of my public speaking life. I had it marked in my other Bible, and I didn't bring that Bible. And I'm like, I think Galatians was erased from my Bible. I can't find it anywhere. <laughs> and I don't know the books of the Bible in order. Did you know that? That's awful. I shouldn't have admitted that. So this is Galatians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the, to the, city, uh, to the church in Galatia. And this is really interesting, because this, this is happening a long time after this kind of down the basket road that, that he had, this experience. Um, and this is actually really interesting when you start to take the stories and the letters and you start to cross corroborate them to find other th new things out. And Paul is saying to the church in Galatia, I'm sure that you've heard my story of my earlier life when I lived the Jewish way. In those days I went all on around persecuting God's church. I was systematically destroying it. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. This is life as a Pharisee. Even then, God had designs on me. Why then was I still in my mother's womb? He chose and called me out, out of sheer generosity. Now he has intervened and revealed his son to me so that I might joyfully tell non-Jews about him. Again, this is happening a long time after Saul found Jesus on the road. But here's what's important. He says, immediately after my calling... Without consulting anyone around me, without going up to Jerusalem to confer with those who were apostles long before I was, I got away to Arabia. Later I returned to Damascus, but it was three years before I went up to Jerusalem to compare my stories with Peter. In between verses 25 and 26, in the book of Acts, when Saul leaves in a basket into Damascus, from Damascus, and then it says, back in Jerusalem, three years go by. Paul spills out of the basket, and he runs into Arabia, and he stays overnight, and he's in this desert kingdom for weeks and months and years. Three years years. It's like a period of incubation. It's like a period of development, of sorting stuff out, of thinking, of pondering, of praying, of meeting new disciples and new, new people and really letting this impact hit him. If we're not careful, we would read Paul's story and be like, wow, he ran from Damascus right into Jerusalem. Like, on, like a sprint. It's like, no. He took three years to sort some stuff out. And that's really, I think, important. 
Well, then he arrives in Jerusalem after those three years of kind of wandering. We actually don't, really don't know what he did in that time. You can only assume. And he comes in Jerusalem. Now, this is really fascinating because then it, the people be like, hey, Saul of Tarsus is back. What happened to you? Hey, hey, Saul, you're back in town. Where are the Christians that you're supposed to round up? Where are the chains that you borrowed from me? Where's that scroll that you got from, from the high priest? He wants that back. Where are your friends? Oh, hey, Saul, your plants died while you were gone. Three years, he comes back, and he's, and he's different. And I can imagine people have no idea how to take him. Saul, what, what happened to you? And Saul wanders up. He finds the followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And he enters into their meeting space. And they see his face. And he says, hey, guys, wait, what? And I can imagine people start to shuffle and move around and say, whoa, 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 Saul's here. What is Saul doing here? How did he know we were here? And they look and see, well, there's no, there's no chains in his hand. There's no goons. There's no goon squad with him. Like, what's happening? And Saul says, no, guys, wait, wait, wait. I'm a follower of Jesus. Wait, what? No. Yes, Saul says, no, no, I, I, I met Jesus on the road. I was in Damascus, and then I met Jesus, and, and then I had to leave the city, and whatever, and whatever. Come in the basket, now I'm back. And the disciples of Jesus say, you're lying. There's no way, Saul, good try. We're not fools you're tricking us. You're lying to us. This is a trap. Where are your friends? Trying to lure us in to believe you so that you can get us. Good try, Saul. And I find this really sad and really compelling. Saul leaves this same place. He leaves Jerusalem with authority to hunt down Christians. He meets Jesus he has his run into Damascus. He meets new Christians there. They're irritated. They don't trust him. He goes to the Jews to preach to them. They want to kill him. He has to leave. He runs away. He leaves his home. He leaves his plants. He leaves his family. And he comes back to Jerusalem to the very Christians that he was sent out to hunt down in the first place. And they say, no thanks. And then there's one person in the back of the room. And I imagine he's like big, jolly, rounded, barrel-chested, rosy-cheeked smile. And I can imagine that this, this guy, he's got a beard, and he smiles, he stands up in front of the whole assembly, he says, wait, 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 wait. Let's hear him out. And I imagine this guy walks from the back of the room to the front where he finds Saul. And he puts his hand on his shoulder and says, no, 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 no. This guy's telling the truth. 
And the man looks at Saul and he says, I, I know your story. I heard about you. I heard that you met Jesus on the road, and I heard that you got baptized in Damascus, and I heard that you were actually trying to make friends with the Christians there, and I, and I heard that you were actually preaching Jesus, even when it, caused, when it was threatening your life. And the man says, no, no, that we can believe and trust this guy. And this man takes Saul, and then he, he moves him over to where Peter and John and Andrew and the apostles were, and he introduces Saul to the apostles. And once this man kind of vouches for Saul, the apostles, Peter and Andrew and John, they say, okay, all right. If Barnabas trusts you, if Barnabas believes in you, then we'll believe you too. Welcome, Saul. Saul of Tarsus, welcome to the church in Jerusalem. Saul is a dizzying character. He is an overwhelming kind of person. He is Saul, Saul, the wrecking ball. And his momentum swings violently from one side to the next. And he is so impassioned and he is so brave. He is so courageous. He is so thoughtful and articulate. He, he, he's so extroverted. He can't help himself. He just blusters in and out of rooms and scenes and places. And it makes him unique and special. It makes him a force of power for God. It's incredible. But I'm going to say something that may be, I don't even know if I agree with it. But I want to suggest that the church doesn't need more Saul's. The church needs more Barnabases. It wasn't Peter, Andrew, John, James, Bartholomew. Matthias, Philip, it was Barnabas who saw past Saul's garbage, who saw through Saul's mistakes, who saw the heart of the man. And he affirmed it, and he advocated for it, and he championed it, and he pulled out the good. And if it weren't for Barnabas standing up for Saul, what would have happened? Saul saw the wrecking ball. Everywhere he goes, he's running into conflict and problems, and nobody wants to, to give him home. He lost his friends, his family. He lost his church, his religion. He lost his standing as a Pharisee. He lost all of his old life. And the new life he's trying to embrace he has no home there either. No one trusts him. No one likes him. No one wants him around. Except for Barnabas. Who says, wait. I see. I see what Jesus is doing in you. I see your potential. I see your heart. I hear your voice. 
And you know what? I'm going to risk my social capital to stick up for you, to give space for you, to advocate for you, to affirm you. Barnabas is the real hero of this story. And while the church, the local church and the world needs passionate, loud, courageous voices for the kingdom of Jesus, I think the church and the world needs a lot more Barnabases. People who see through the garbage, who see past the politics, who see past the theology and see the heart of the person and will take a risk to reach out and encourage. It's the Barnabases that weave the narrative together. What's most fascinating about this story and why I feel pretty like, uh, whoops, why I feel pretty um, confident in this reading of the text is because it's kind of an, an ironic full circle for Paul. Because Barnabas and Paul become friends. And in about, I don't know, maybe 10 years' time, I'm not sure how long exactly, there's another conflict that Paul has, another wrecking ball moment where Paul is like, he just storms in, he says, John Mark, you're a terrible missionary, you're off this trip, I'm sending you home. You're not good enough, you're not strong enough, you're not courageous, you're not willing to risk it all for the gospel. And Saul saw the wrecking ball is ready to smash through another door. And who comes to John Mark's defense? Barnabas. Barnabas says, wait, wait. I see the potential in this guy. He's scared. He's nervous. Give him a break. This guy's got talent. He's got chops. He's got imagination. And Saul forgets that Barnabas did the exact same thing for him when he was lost and he had no home and he had no friends. He totally, and it's ironic, he totally forgets. Saul moves on and Barnabas and John Mark go home. But I believe John Mark goes home to write the Gospel of Mark. He tells the most compelling stories of Jesus that have ever been written. They become the template for all the other Gospels to be, to be copied from and, and borrowed from. And John Mark changes the world with his stories of Jesus because Barnabas advocated, affirmed, championed, saw potential in. The world doesn't necessarily need a lot more wrecking balls. The world needs a lot more Barnabases. And sometimes when we are sitting in a pew or we're in a small little church like this and we feel like our impact is basically insignificant globally or we don't feel like we've lived up to our potential and we haven't 
We're not doing anything grand or extraordinary. We're not writing great novels or, or long letters or preaching in front of thousands of people. We're not on TV. We don't have a big social media following. We don't have lots of money in the bank. The people, I think, of most consequence are the Barnabases that have consistently throughout the centuries woven the story of Jesus together with seems like insignificant acts of affirmation and advocacy where they see the hearts of people, they see the potential, they see Jesus at work, and they take a risk to encourage. And those are the things that make the kingdom expand and grow. That is what the kingdom of Jesus is made up of. Barnabases. So this week, we want to do something a little bit different when it comes to Palm Sunday. So Danny, uh, Dan, you're not your son. Mike, if you could put on the slide. Palm Sunday, we are calling a Barnabas brunch. So if you're here for the Feast of St. Nicholas, before Christmas, we had like a big meal, we had a big feast and tables, and we sat around, and we just, you know, it was really nice and really wonderful. What we wanted to do is take Palm Sunday and actually give you an opportunity to invite your Saul's or your John Mark's to come out to our Barnabas brunch on Palm Sunday. And we're not going to have a big meal, but we will have pastries and muffins and cookies. Is Lent over by then? No. Oh, oh never mind. I'm, I can't celebrate pastries with you, but that's okay. Where we will have uh, our hosts kind of hosting our, our little circles. We'll have some activities. We'll have a, a short story and some song, but it'll be a really light, easy fun, lighthearted time of encouragement. And our hope is that you can be the Barnabas. And that there's someone in your life that is like the Saul or the John Mark, where you see something, you see Jesus at work in them. You see kind of beyond the garbage and beyond the hindrances, and you're like, you know what, I think I'd like to invite you to brunch at our church. We just want to encourage you. We don't want to convert you. We don't want to wrecking ball you. We just want you to have space and time in a loving atmosphere where Jesus is present to eat good pastries, play, and be with people. And so next week, we will have these as little invitational tags that you can hand out. We have a digital copy as well. And I thought, you know, well, let's make it as simple as possible for everybody. So if you had a question like, who is Barnabas? He was a really nice guy from the stories of Jesus. Why am I being invited? We just want to encourage you. And is there anything special I need to bring? Nope. Just you. So maybe you do know of a John Mark Saul person in your life that you feel like, yeah, you know what, I think... I think I can invite that person. I can be their Barnabas. I can invite them out to, to our brunch. 
because I see Jesus at work and I want to, I want to help pull that out of them. And that's coming Palm Sundays. That's in a few weeks. You'll get those invitations next week um, to hand out. And that should be a lot of fun. So be Barnabas. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that your spirit is at work. And I thank you, Jesus, that... um, You always choose the ants on the hill. You always choose the small. These are your people are the ones made up of of the seemingly insignificant. And Jesus, that you work in the in between, in the underground. That you you're actually moving and and flowing and inspiring. In the in the not obvious. Jesus, I thank you that that is kind of how your kingdom is made up and how it's stitched together with encouragement and affirmation and advocacy and risk because your kingdom is made up of love and that is the stuff of love. And so Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for Saul. I thank you that you, you, you chose him and you, you asked him and invited him into this, this powerful life that he had. But Jesus, I thank you so much for the Barnabases. And I thank you for Barnabas who's willing to risk his social capital and his his social standing to advocate for someone who looked less than, less than stellar. I thank you for his heart. And Jesus, may we all have the hearts of Barnabas. May we all be people of encouragement. May we all be people of affirmation. And Jesus, I pray even now that we be thinking about someone that we could invite out to our brunch that we could actually be the literal hands and feet of Jesus, your hands and feet in the world, and invite into our community of love. And so I pray even now that you would be uh, moving and, and just whispering names and faces into our heads and hearts. I thank you for these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to sing one more song, and then after our song, we are going to test out our baskets and gobble up our snacks. And some of these baskets are very, very awesome. Very, very safe. So don't, don't, don't rush away right away. So you can see uh, Saul be lowered down over the wall. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.